Amen. Good morning, Reach Church. All right. So please join me in prayer. Father, we praise you as the great I am. We praise you as the God of great mercy. And Father, we thank you as the one who has come to us in Jesus Christ. That the only reason that we can be close to, to you, the great God, is because of Christ. That by his blood can we come into your presence. And Father, we thank you that you have allowed us so close to you. And Father, we recognize that it's not because of us, it is because of what you've done. And it's because of your cross and because of your grace. And so, Father, we thank you. Thank you for the gift of your presence and the ability to worship you. Father, I ask that the rest of this service would be uh, equally worshipful, that we would see you and know you and, and love you greater and, and more through your word. Father, would you uh, bless this, this time, the preaching of your word? Would you give us hearts to hear it and to apply it to our lives? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we are... Still in Romans. You're going to hear that for a long time. Uh, we're going to be in Romans for a, a long bit. So, uh, just to review from last week. Last week we talked about how everyone knows God. That the knowledge of God is, is universal. And that everyone in unrighteousness suppresses that truth. That though he reveals himself, uh, that people refuse to believe in him. But thankfully we saw also that that God doesn't just reveal his wrath, he doesn't just reveal his knowledge, he also reveals his grace in Christ. That he pours out his wrath against humanity on the cross. And so anyone who has faith in Christ is preserved and sustained and relieved from that wrath. So, that's kind of God's primary reaction to the, the overall denial of him. He reacts in, in the cross of Jesus Christ. But, that's not the only thing that God does in reaction to the kind of universal denial of his, his glory and his majesty. So today we're actually talking to talk about another reaction that God has. How does he react to people who have denied him and refused to acknowledge him? Today we're talking about how God has, has given humanity over to sin. That that is actually the revelation of his wrath to give humanity over to their sins. And I hope that it, this helps us to understand what sin really is and the purposes of God in it. I also hope that this passage is going to help us understand uh, homosexuality and that specific sin and how we as Christians are to understand it and how we're supposed to think about it and how we're supposed to relate to the world that is also thinking about the same issue. But I hope that ultimately we see Christ in this passage. And so that's going to be our goal. So, uh, we're talking about, first the thing is, we're talking about how God has reacted to the denial of him by giving us up and giving us over to our sin. Then we're talking about what that means for us as believers, and then also what that means for what God is up to in the world. All right. So, let's turn to Romans 1, verses 24 through 32. This is Romans 1, verses 24 through 32. Romans 1, 24 through 32. And read with me. Therefore, the therefore is connecting back to the fact that, that they have denied him. Therefore God gave them up 
in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolishness, faithlessness, uh, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the Lord's word. All right. So the first thing you're seeing is this is God's reaction to humanity that has denied him. To people who refuse to acknowledge him. And what does he do? Verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So they made this change. They made a, an exchange, a switch. That instead of worshipping the true God, their creator, they, they pull it down and start worshipping creation itself. Idols, one another, created images. And what God does for that is he gives them over to the lusts in their hearts. That they have these desires. They want to worship these things and God says, fine. Worship those things. I'm not going to hold back your hearts. I'm not going to hold back your lusts. Go get the things that you think you want. That is the revelation of his wrath. And he, he opens up humanity to that. And what does that look like? First off, he gives them over to dishonorable passions. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. All right. So as the first matter that Paul points people to, he points the fact that God gives people over to homosexual sin. Now, considering our culture and considering where the church stands in this, we need to understand why does Paul go there first? Why is that the first thing that Paul thinks of and he singles it out? Now the passage actually tells us. He points out this particular sin because it is unnatural. It is contrary to nature. Now I think that Paul here is using this particular sin as, as an illustration. 
as a kind of a very tangible example of how when you deny what we are as humans, created in the image of God to worship our God, when we break that connection and point ourselves towards creation, towards nature itself, everything starts to unravel. That the good built into creation and sustained by humanity being all about God, when we break that connection, everything starts to disintegrate, everything starts to be twisted and turned in on itself. And homosexual sin is actually kind of a tragic, very poetic picture of that happening in creation. Now, I do not think it's the worst of sins, but it does illustrate that point. And we're going to talk about what that looks like. So, notice, notice the language that's used here. There is a poetic language here. Unbelievers, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They made that exchange, and then they end up exchanging natural relations for unnatural ones. It's a natural consequence of trading in God, and then they trade in the horizontal relationships. God gave up men to sin, and they end up giving themselves up, giving up natural relations for unnatural ones. That we see these parallels here. Basically saying that if you reject the creator, creation starts to fall apart as well. Now to see what we mean here, we need to understand what was the original creation like? What was it supposed to naturally look like? Men and women were created in God's image. Which means that they are, they are naturally worshipers of God. They are to reflect God. They are to, to point to God. Be a living representation of him. And accordingly, he made them male and female. So we think of the Trinity. The Trinity is, is diverse but united. That's how God created humanity. That they are diverse. But that they come together and they're mutually dependent upon one another. That men and women are mutually dependent and compatible. We think of the fact that, that women came from man, was taken from, from man's rib. But in the same way, man comes from woman. He is born of her. And so there's a natural interdependence and without each other, humanity is not complete. And the beauty of this is that when they come together in the original creation, they are, they are naked, but they're not ashamed. They can be completely vulnerable before one another. And if they let their, their passions and their emotions run wild, the result is life. And the result is this beautiful union that creates more humanity, more life. It actually makes humans flourish as a result. That's the original creation. That as mankind devotes themselves to God, that's naturally what is supposed to happen. Then sin came. That mankind rejected God and decided to make themselves all about themselves. They made themselves God. They made creation God. And that in and of itself started breaking that relationship, the beauty of this bond. And just, we have to think about this, the beauty of it. It was, it was diversity with unbridled passion 
with interdependence, which results in life. That's, that's a beautiful vision. And oftentimes, the things that the, the church is accused of is being, being passionless. It's not being diverse. It's destroying life. It's, it's being full of shame. That you know, All of these comes together in the original creation. God loves diversity and compatibility and mutual dependence and, and passion that results in life. There's a beauty to God's creation. It's the fall that breaks that. And when that, that connection is severed, first, we see that, that bond break. That this passion that used to be there is, turns into wrath against each other. That man and women, they're actually in conflict, not united anymore. And we also see that before they, they were without shame. Now they are ashamed to be before one another. And then homosexuality, homosexual sin then builds on that. It's a further corruption. Creation further falling apart. So that what used to be diversity becomes homogeneous. That men are toward, turned towards men. They're turned towards themselves. Women towards women turn towards themselves. And the passion that resulted in life before now results in death. And results in shame, results in error, and it results in penalty. When we see how, how the fall and how the rejection of God influences creation, we're supposed to think about these things. And we're supposed to weep at the fact that this natural order and this natural beauty is broken. It's not just that... that Oh, you're just not supposed to do that. No, it, it breaks the whole plan of God and the beauty of, of a God who created these things. And homosexual sin particularly is a, a symbol of that, of that larger truth that breaking fellowship with our creator destroys this natural creation. Right. But we can't stop there. Because yes, that is true, but that naturally leads to a hundred other things. So look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, gave them up, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. That homosexual sin is not the only sin that people are, are given over to. He gives them over to, to a world of sin. Verse 29. They are filled with all matter of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. God gives humanity and unbelievers over to sin. He lets them do whatever they want with their newfound freedom, with their worship of creation, and this is what they create out of it. They destroy the relationships that are supposed to be united. That before, when they were united upon God, it wasn't about them, but now it is about them. It's each person is a God warring with each other. And the result? 
uh, murder, strife, ruthlessness. The social bonds start to break. We see slander and gossip. That from when you're a child, disobedient to parents, and you're foolish, and as you grow up, you become an inventor of evil. Using all of that human creativity to, to create new ways to be evil and ruthless. When God gives up the unbeliever to their unbelief and to the rejection of God, this is what happens. And kind of the cherry on top, verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Last week we talked about how everyone knows God. Here it's saying that everyone not only knows God, they know God's decree. And they know the consequences that they deserve to die for it. And yet, not only do they keep doing it, they keep approving of those who do it. That is the state of humanity without God. When God gives them up, that is where they end up. Last week we talked about how when we look at humanity, we can see actually the beauty of the image of God. You can't look at that humanity. You can't, we see like, oh, like, look at the athleticism. Look at the, the art, arts. Look at their, their musical talents. Look, the glory of God. We also have to look at humanity and see that they are broken. And that that human image is marred. And is corrupted. Alright. So this passage, this passage, it's, it's they. They. This is the, the unbeliever. And talking about the unbeliever. And the question is, what does this have to do with us? What does it have to do with you? Assuming that most, most of you are probably believers. Do you believe in God? What is the, the application of this passage to you? Well, Paul actually gives us the application. He gives it in the next chapter. So look at chapter 2. Look at chapter 2. Therefore, so to the culmination of all of this truth, therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the same things. We know the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Paul says, this is the application for believers. That we talked about them, and then he says, what about you? You Romans, you people I'm talking to. He says, you are judgmental. He knows that they're going to be judgmental. And he knows us. 
He knows we who are in the church. And he knows that most of us will sit through this sermon thinking, like, shame on the unbeliever. And what is this world coming to? They're ruining the world. They're ruining our society. If only they would believe in God and obey him, everything would be right. And Paul turns it around and says, no. No, you, you do the very same things. If you're listening to the, the first part of the sermon, if you're looking at that list and not seeing yourself, then you're part of the problem. And that not only are you committing these same sins, you're also judgmental and blind because you think you don't do them. Look, look back on this, look back on this, this list. All right, where are you in this list? Where is your name written on this list? And don't just say, oh, it's just generally written. I, I realize, like, I do some of these things. You know, which ones? Envy. Murder. Now, anger. Anger, murder, we see those things. Strife, deceit, maliciousness. Gossips. Slanderers. Haters of God. That's, believers fall into that trap, too. Insolent. Rude. Haughty, the prideful, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Oh man, <laughs> a long time ago you, you broke this one. Foolishness, faithless, heartless, ruthless. We fail in faith, we fail to have heart, we, we destroy one another. We, we are in the same boat. And not only do we, the only reason we get out of this is because not only do we, do we not see it, but we also start to rank sins. This passage is unique in that what we count as, as little sins are right next to the big ones. That envy is right next to murder. The fact that you want like the same car that someone else has, that's right next to you killing them. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a horizontal line here. Just a list of sins. And what do we do? We turn it this way. And we say, oh, well, boasting and gossip, well, those are down here. No, the passage doesn't put them down here. They're, they're all equal with each other. And I think the worst thing that we do is we flip it and we put homosexuality sin at the very top. Right next to rape and terrorism. And we say those are the real sins. And we judge. And we, we mistreat these people as the sinners. All the while when we're we're Casting off and denying the fact that we are sinners down here. Now, sin is sin. And we are all in the same category. That's the fact. And the reason we like to elevate homosexual sin is because it's, it's more visible. It's out there. And we can convince ourselves that maybe we're not the sinners. Because we're not as deliberate with it. You can't see it as much. But no, we just pick the sins that we can get away with. 
and we choose the sins to, to judge that are easiest to cast the first stone because we think we're not doing them. Uh, that's where that's where we we need to repent. And we honestly we owe an apology to those who struggle with homosexual sin and to those with same-sex attraction. As a church, we owe them an apology because we've been hypocrites. And we've elevated that sin and we've we've offered very little grace and a lot of judgment. And anyone who's looking to understand Christ is not going to see it in how we treat homosexual sin. Because Jesus, Jesus, he, he approaches the people who are blatantly sinful and who can't escape their sin. Who are those people? Those are the prostitutes and the tax collectors in his day. And he has the most grace for them. And he invites them to himself and he gets ridiculed because he is too gracious to them. But he's gracious to them because they know their sin. And because they can't deny it. Those are the people that should receive more grace. Because they think they actually are sinners. Like the rest of us are. And so with that in mind, if, if you're struggling with homosexual sin, if you're struggling with same-sex attraction here, which probably statistically, at least one of you is, I would say you are, you're in good company. That we are all tempted together. We are all sinners together. And we are all on this horizontal line together. And you are right where you need to be. You are among brothers and sisters who struggle with sin. That welcome home. Really. And now, to, to those of you who, who tend to judge... I'd say we need to remember our Savior. We need to remember that sin is sin. And we can do this subtly. I, I know that most of you are not like, oh yeah, I think that's the worst sin. No, you don't. But you talk about it like it is. And you, you get all amped up about it when you hear about it. And when you see it on television, you freak out. But if you see general sexual sin, you're fine with it. We put it in a different category. And we can be hypocrites in that. Alright. So the point of this passage, Romans 1 and Romans 2 together, we are all sinners. Welcome to the team. And now, now we have to ask the question, why would God give us over to our sins? Before, it's like, oh, why would God give them over to their sins? Oh, it's because they're evil. No, why, would, why does God give us all up to our sins? Why can't we escape from sin? Why are we all sinners every day? That's the question. And I think we have a good answer in this passage. Why does God give us over to our sins? All right, it's punishment, yes. It's punishment. But... It's not the punishment of like the petty God who just, if you do bad things, you get judgment. That's not the point of this. It's a revelation of his wrath as a father would punish a child. And why do we punish our kids? We punish our kids so that they would repent, 
so that they'd see their error. But also we, we punish our kids to save them. Now I think of, I think of uh, me and my, my siblings, we were spanked growing up. Yeah, no, we, we were that kind of house. All right. Uh, <laughs> now we got spanked for a lot of reasons, but one, one really good reason, all right, if you run into the street, you know that's a rule. If you run into the street, you're going to get spanked. Oh, there's elbows going on. Oh. <laughs> uh, if you run into the street, you get spanked. Now, that was horrible. Horrible. My parents are so mean. Um, but it's a temporary pain. It's a, a small intermediate consequence. What? To protect me from the ultimate consequence. It's going to hurt a lot more to get hit by a car. And if I had to receive that consequence, I might not really make it through. So, good parents give, give intermediate punishments to protect us from the big ones. That is what God is doing here. This is a present revelation of his wrath to clue us into the fact that there is going to be a final revelation of his wrath. That he shows us now that we desperately are that we've abandoned the God of life and that we are killing ourselves. And he gives us little pictures of that in sin. So that when we get there, no one's going to say, but I thought, I thought we were good, God. We were just out standing around having a good, happy time and then we get up to there and, oh, now you're mad at us? Like, no, no one's going to say that. We all know there's a problem. We all know things are really messed up. And that humanity is really messed up. You see that in the news every day. You see that in other people every day. Maybe you don't see it in yourself. But that's what God gives us over to our sin to show us. That humanity is really messed up. And it's shouting out to us, you have abandoned the God of life. And you are running after death. And you are, you are dead in the water as proved by your sin. That's what God is giving us over in our sin to see. That we're not right with him. Now, how does that help us? How does that help us? First, just on a practical level, um, when people say, like, why does God let all this evil happen? Why does God let such horrible people do such horrible things to each other? They aren't thinking of the ultimate sin. They're not saying, why doesn't God keep people from denying him and not worshiping him? Why doesn't God stop people from rejecting their creator? No one's asking that. They're asking, why, does he, why doesn't he stop all these secondary sins? The secondary sins are pointing to the primary sin, the real problem, that we've abandoned our creator. And until everyone starts worshiping God again, God is not going to, to cut off all sin and prevent people from sinning because otherwise they're just going to get to that final destination and be totally blown away. And what, what else does that mean? That means when we see sin in the world, all right, we need to stop complaining about it. Like why, why would God let this happen 
This is God revealing his wrath so that people might see their sin. They might see that they've rejected him. And we shouldn't be surprised. That's, that's exactly what should happen. That if people abandon their creator, they should be resolved to sin. Because they have no hope. And they have no life. And we shouldn't want God to put band-aids over this sin. And to cover it up so we can live happy lives with unbelievers. No, we want them to see their sin and repent. Alright, that also means, and the second thing, we need to stop fighting the secondary sins. The consequent sins. So, with your kids, stop fighting the secondary consequential sins in your kids. If your kids don't love the true God and they're not worshiping him, you should expect them to sin. And that's actually evidence that you can talk to those kids about the fact that maybe they're not loving their God and they're not rejoicing in him. We're not trying to put band-aids to make sure they're good. Alright, other things. We shouldn't try to keep unbelievers from their secondary sins. There's nothing helpful in, in legislating away their sin or, or turning them into legalists. That they should see their sins so they know where they stand with their creator. And when we're dealing with our own sins, we shouldn't be dealing with the secondary sins as if they're just kind of out in the open or they're random sins. Why, why, why do I still struggle with this? You still struggle with A, B, and C because you still aren't worshiping God. And you still, in your heart of hearts, don't love him and haven't put him into the first place. That's the problem. And you need to go back and say, am I worshiping God? Am I honoring and thanking him? Is he primary? All the sins that, all these other sins are merely evidence of the fact that that first sin is happening. All right. That is the problem with the world. The world has abandoned their creator. You and I have abandoned our creator and stopped worshiping him. So we should be thankful that God reveals to us the fact that we have done that. He shows us the problem. But more than that, he shows us, he shows us the solution too. The only reason we can rejoice that he shows us how evil we are is because he has a solution in Christ. And that God, God took his son, God the son, and he gave his son over to sin. He gave us over to sin. He gave Jesus over to our sin. And so Jesus was sent into this sinful humanity, this sinful humanity obsessed with itself, and when we all found out that God was among us, what did we do? We killed him. We could finally get our hands on God and we stuck him on the cross and we killed him though he was innocent. That's how unnatural we are. That we, we the created, the creatures, killed our creator. The one who gives us life, we took his life. 
we destroyed God. That is all of our hearts. And yet, by destroy, by letting God, by God letting us destroy his son and kill his son, he was saving us. He saved us through that. That as we were killing God in sin, he was dying for our sins and saving us from our sins. And he was giving us grace and mercy. Now that, that in and of itself is amazing. But then, Jesus Christ rose from the dead as the new humanity. As the new mankind. A mankind that was free from sin. And not just back to the, the old Adam and Eve in the garden humanity. The glorified perfect humanity. That's who Jesus became in the resurrection. And that's what he offers to us. A new humanity, not destroyed by sin anymore, not enslaved, not ruled by all these sins, not given over to them. And when we go to the final judgment, if you're in Christ, that will be your glorification. That'll be when you become the new humanity. And you'll be glorified and you'll never want to sin ever again. And you'll love the life that you have in Christ. And you will worship and you will rejoice. And that natural goal of God will be even better than it was before. And we'll just get to live in the midst of that. So, practical take-home application stuff. Stop judging other sinners. Stop judging. And the goal is not to, ta- to stop them from sinning in this kind of remedial, secondary way. No, give them Christ that they may be part of the new humanity, free from sin forever. And let's rejoice in the fact that Jesus was destroyed and denied and rejected so that we might be accepted in him. Let's pray. Father, you are the glorious one. You are the great I am. You are the unworthy of all worship. And Father, we have not worshipped you as we ought to. We have all denied you and we have all been given over to our sin because we have rejected you. Father, I ask that you would accept our repentance Father, we are sinners and we have not put you first. Would you show us in our hearts the ways that we have elevated creation and elevated these false idols to worship them above you? Father, would you forgive us of our hypocrisy? Would you forgive us of elevating uh, these select sins to the highest place? Father, would we be one with sinners? Father, would we would you give us the hearts that would want to honor and worship you because of what you've done in Jesus Christ? We thank you. Father, help us to rejoice that you've given us such grace and mercy in Jesus Christ.
You have taken away this wrath that we have, we have earned for ourselves and put it on Christ. We praise you and we worship you. We ask that you might help us to praise you each and every day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.